0: Continuing Chapter 4, we get on to Myth 5, you cannot measure digital success. Digital programmes often fail because people do not understand what the measure of success is. A good example of this is channel shift and improving the website of councils. You may or may not have noticed the tendency for your local council to add services to an online account or portal. In local government there is a huge emphasis and a lot of money spent on improving websites over the last 5 years. And providing my account style portals also known as we want to be like amazon these projects often fail to deliver the promised savings though as they have not looked at where the cost is to explain you need to use the Pareto principle in a council area you can say that roughly 80 percent of residents are low need and 20 percent high need take myself for example i maybe contact my council only once a year if that the majority of residents will be the same about 80 percent in this example And we would be classified as the low need group. The same is true of cost, except that 80% of council spend goes on serving the 20% of high need residents. Most of these high need residents will likely be people who do not use the internet and would be deemed low internet use category. No amount of online accounts and e forms will help cut the spend to this 20%. If we took a round number of council spend of a million pounds, then 800000 is spent on serving 20% of residents, and 200000 is spent on serving 80% of residents. Yet it is the 80% low-need residents that most of the website improvements are aimed at, where you have only got £200,000 of spend to make savings from, and they need the least help. Simply drawing the above out will show you why you need to understand exactly who you are targeting and why, and ensure there are benefits to both customer and the business. In this instance, the councils are making benefits to a low-need, low-cost set of customers, without making any internal savings. It is a one-way improvement and will not result in high savings, which is the aim of these types of projects. In truth, most council websites could be awful, making you download and print all documents, having no online forms at all. It would make very little difference to the 80% of residents as they only contact their council once or twice a year. The money being spent by councils is being spent in the wrong areas, with the view that digital will save them money. After all, the main reason for doing this is the austerity cuts that the government has pushed on them over the previous decade. The savings must come from what sits behind these services. The website efficiencies should only be implemented if if there is also back office efficiency too. Savings estimated to be attributed to website redevelopments or online accounts will not deliver the savings required on their own. This is a fact that is often missed. And I think just on that point to expand slightly, I actually do the 80-20 rule twice. So you end up with 64, uh, 16, 16 and four, I think, something like that, if my maths is right. Uh, And then the same with the money. And what you're finding is that there's a whole group of kind of very low need, very cheap to service customers, such as myself who, might do a move in house form once every few years or changing council tax. Very little actual contact with the council. And these are the people that they're targeting with their online accounts and portals. And it's, it's pointless in a lot of cases because the, the majority of the spend is going on the high need element who quite often don't use the my accounts or don't have that. So the reason I'd, I think I've quoted in the last one, we want to be like Amazon, uh, that's where it kind of, comes from is they've they've seen the account they've seen how easy it is they want to set something up similar but they haven't really thought about who the kind of end customer is that's going to be using it and actually in a lot of cases councils get particularly low take up of these services because in the main they're not relevant to people who only want to contact the council once or twice a year and in doing so probably don't mind a ten minute phone call over an email or a form especially when the form takes forever and. On that, even recently, I moved a few months ago and I've stayed within the local authority area. I've not moved far, a couple of miles down the road. I sent an online form in, change of address, all very nice, sent it through. And it was about three months before they actually implemented the change of address. And in that time, obviously, I'd had bills go to my old address. I had chasers saying, you've not paid your council tax. My landlord had had letters from someone. And it's kind of like all could have been avoided if they'd actually thought about the service behind the form. So absolutely pointless, giving me a nice online form, a nice experience, because it caused so much grief afterwards. And I actually ran a poll on LinkedIn recently that basically said, would you rather have an online form that took sort of eight weeks to reply to or a paper form that you got an answer the next day? And roughly 60-40 split, but 60% go and say in paper. And again, it's something that missed that it's the efficiency of the service behind the form that matters to a lot of people. And the reason people use Amazon isn't just because it's a lovely online account. It's because you get what you want delivered very quickly at a cheap price. And that's the element of it that people miss. And that's the buy-in that you really need to think about. The secret to success in implementing projects of this type is to deliver a service to your customer where they must do all the work done in such a way that they thank you for it whilst also just as importantly allowing you to save money through making your internal processes easier and cheaper having a clear strategy with business outcomes will help you define this great examples of this are both banks and supermarkets with supermarkets they have introduced self-serve checkouts and told you the consumer that it is for your benefit and speed there you are scanning your own items placing them in the bagging area Pay in and off you go, all for your benefit. Not for the fact that supermarkets can now employ fewer people. They can put more tills in a smaller space, so have more shelf space. Not the reduction in cash payments that need to be processed and other benefits that they get from it. If it was purely the customer that benefited, then there would not be any self-service tills. Look at the new Amazon stores where there are not even tills. You walk in and help yourself to goods and they are automatically detected and debited from your account, again reducing staff numbers and administration costs. The same is true of banking apps. Moving to online banking allowed you to view and print your statements at home, for your benefit apparently, not to reduce their own print and mailing costs, or so they would require fewer staff. Now there is a mobile app that you download your statements onto, again saving them time and cost, but sold as your benefit. So likewise, websites and online accounts need to be sold for the benefit of the customer and genuinely make their life easier. But it also must add real value to your business too. And this is the element that is all too often missed. Delight your customers with your services, but do it in a way that allows you to become more efficient too. Do not deliver digital services to your customers in a way that ends up ultimately costing you more. Work out why you're doing it first. With these services, Where they have been very good to customers in enabling them to self-serve, the same cannot always be said of their staff. I have seen the internal workings of a global airline company from a staff perspective. It is so inefficient that it's shocking. I could guarantee that if the CEO had to use the same tools, then they would all be replaced very quickly. Do you know the systems your team are expected to use and the processes that they must follow? Likewise, you should be thinking of your staff in the same way. Ensuring that they have the right tools and processes to be efficient is a key element of any program. Whenever we talk about customers of digital, these are both external and internal. By defining the internal savings of a project, regardless of whether these are IT savings, cash savings or time savings, you will help determine the measure of success of a project. Go into these projects knowing exactly what you want to achieve. Do not rebuild a website for the sake of rebuilding it. What are you now offering the customer that also makes your roles easier? And where is the internal saving or efficiency coming from? And again, on that, I've seen a few places where actually they almost have contradictory statements where they'll have a document that says, we want to improve customer experience. And then underneath it will be, and we need to save X amount, £1,000 per year doing it. And you're kind of like, well, okay, which one do you want? Do you want to save money or do you want to improve the customer experience? Because... We could spend a lot of money improving it and you won't make a penny in saving and you might not make a penny in efficiency, but your customers will think, wow, this is amazing. But then you can't afford to run that as a service. And similarly, if you don't actually understand where you're at now, then saying we want to improve customer service. If you're a six out of 10, let's say, and you want to get to eight out of 10, what is that extra two marks worth to you? How much are you going to invest in that? Because again, you're probably not going to make a saving in doing that. Because you're going to be investing in tools, maybe chatbots, maybe some artificial intelligence, improving the website, making changes, and is that kind of extra two marks that get you to an eight out of ten worth it? What's the cost of pushing you to a nine out of ten? And again, is that worth it, or are you going to undo any savings? So you really have to plan around a lot more than I think a lot of people do when it comes to digital, and just think, oh, we'll do a portal, we'll build something online, because a, it might not be for the right customers and B, you might not be able to get any of the savings that you actually thought you were going to in the first place. Myth six, minimum viable product allows us to do the minimum. A common method of developing systems within a small budget or time frame is to build what is known as a minimum viable product or MVP. It might be something you have not come across before, but it is a term you'll hear time and time again when looking at digital technology. Where this is a completely new application, then MVP is a very good way of building. When it is replacing an older system, then it will often result in failure. The MVP version will almost certainly need to contain all the features of the system being replaced and will be too costly. However, too many people focus on the minimum aspect. The focus needs to be on the viable aspect. For an MVP, you build a very basic system with just the bare essentials. A good visualization of this, if you want to build something that you're going to use to propel yourself forwards, Is to build a roller skate you may then improve this to a skateboard you may then improve this to a bicycle to be improved to a motorbike to be improved by a car what you are not doing is building part of the car initially and then adding to it to build the full car you are building a quick tool that helps you move forwards then one that helps you move forwards a bit more quickly and so on you may never actually get as far as the car you may find that you get as far as the bicycle and any financial benefit of moving to the motorbike is wiped out by the further cost of development, this is perfectly fine. You do not always need to end up with the car. You need to end up with something viable. You may well return to the project at a later date and add more to it as technology or the industry you're in grows, changes or develops. A quick business case at this time will again see if the investment in going from a motorbike to a car is worthwhile at that stage. You may have had to stop at a motorbike purely because you simply could not afford to move to the car. This again is perfectly fine. You do not have to do everything at once or at the same time. You may benefit from letting staff have a go on the motorbike for a while as their feedback will help you build a better car. But by improving incrementally, you can make small efficiencies at every step. Even if you never fully get to the car, you can still start small and grow. Remember that you do not necessarily have to be adding new features. You can stop the project of a new system as it's complete enough to deliver your outcomes. You may want to spend time making the same system even more efficient or making it more stable. You will need to have the knowledge to know when to stop and when to continue. And because you will know how to measure success, your project will not be one that fails. Just ensure that the focus is on the viable element and not the minimum elements. Your staff will thank you for it. What is the smallest viable solution you can you can implement that brings the biggest benefits and again that's not just my example that's an example that's used quite widely the the moving forward from kind of roller skate to skateboard to bike to car and it's a good way of visualizing how these projects happen so in the kind of in the past when we're doing big what they would have called waterfall projects someone would have said i want to move forwards i need a car and off someone would have gone to build that car and two years later they turn up with what sort of resembles a car it's sort of what you wanted at the time but actually in those two years things have moved on and now want something different and by doing what they call the the mvp what you're doing is saying well actually let's just build something that that moves us forward a little bit and let's do that quite quickly and that might take i don't know it might take three weeks might take three months but it, it's it's a relatively quick process And then you can go, sit down, review it and go, right, this is taking us forwards, but actually we need to invest a little bit more and take us forwards a little bit quicker. And then suddenly we're going from the roller skate to the skateboard. And again, you can do that quite quickly, another three weeks, three months, and you've got a new system, you're trying and trying and trying. And that's really how modern systems are are kind of being developed. And why the real importance is not the minimum, not what you can kind of get away with, it's the viable aspect. What actually gives you a working system? And again, I mentioned doing it to replace an older system. I've actually come across this in in local government. If you're building an MVP of, let's say, a housing benefit system, then the minimum it does is almost everything a housing benefit system must already do because you're replacing the entire system. You can't say, oh, well, ours does part of it and kind of get you there, but there's a few manual tasks you have to do afterwards it's kind of a bit of an all in at that point. So really it's only when you're looking at new kind of services, new designs, where you want to be applying this. But yeah, again, coming back to the business case, if you know how much you can spend and you know what the benefits are going to be, it's a very clear kind of line that you can follow that says, right, we're going to build this in three iterations. We'll only get as far as the bike, but we think that's enough because that's going to cost us 15 grand to get there and we think the benefit that we're going to get is slightly more than that whereas if we do one more that's going to take us to 20 grand then the cost benefit kind of falls apart so linking them all the business case links to the mvp links to everything else we're doing and again all of this the myth busting and everything is to start to give you that knowledge that you need that again starts to give you a bit more confidence to make some of these decisions and move forwards so when you do say I'm thinking of building a a small app or something and you start talking to a designer or a studio that are going to build it and they start throwing mvps at you you can actually say okay but this is what we want this is what makes it viable for us not what gives us the minimum myth seven digital is not my job the final myth is the single most important one it is the one thing that holds companies back more so than any other The, it's not my job mentality. This is the one that breaks so many programs of work. So let us be very clear on this. Digital is everyone's job. Every business is a digital business. If you think you are not, then you're destined to fail. You may provide services on top of digital. You may have work that is not digital. However, the majority of your work depends on digital. Even if you are new to it, you will still be digital in some ways. I guarantee that 99% of people reading this book have a smartphone. That is digital. If you can instill this way of thinking across your whole business, then you will place yourself ahead of the pack. As much as an accountant wants to be an accountant, they will still have a foundation of digital tools. I guarantee they use Excel or an equivalent, maybe zero, maybe go cardless. There will be digital systems in place. A plumber will still be a plumber, but maybe he now has a CRM a finance system, Calendly to book appointments, text message updates on his arrival time, an iPad with access to trade shops to buy or order parts whilst on a job, a sat-nav to find the address of the next job more quickly. The foundations of every business and every role are digital. Embrace it, learn it, understand it. Do not just see your tools as bits of software that you use. They need to be looked after and managed. They need to help you make you better at what you do. Think of digital as your assistant. What can it help you to achieve? How can it make you more efficient at what you do? Saying you do not do digital or do not understand digital is not good enough. We're in the 2020s. Digital is prevalent everywhere. Everyone must know it. Those that do not will get left behind. You are a leader. Stand up and be counted. Get on board and start your journey here. And that kind of takes us up to part two of the book. Uh, in which point we get to the methodology of basically how you deliver these projects and and how you become more confident in it. But what we've looked at throughout that really the first part of the book we've obviously gone through some of the problems initially. We had a bit of a chat through my story, the strategy that I think changed everything for me and kind of gave me a platform to to do what I don't do now. The intimidating meeting I had with the chief scientific officer and a lot of other people that really, again, I was very intimidated by and from attending, but actually once I was there, understood everyone else, what their role was and how we all fit together, kind of made sense. We talked through why digital is the answer and obviously why it's therefore going to be so important to businesses going forwards. Uh, We went through why 95% get it wrong. We talked about a few of the problems that people have with digital, and why they use it. We've obviously just been through a number of myths that people fall foul of. And and again, they're really just things that you need to be thinking of, think, be on top of, get your brain round a little bit and actually start to plan out some of these programs, not just leave them to your IT department, but understand them from a business and a business perspective. And really, hopefully, one of the things you've taken from part one is the importance of data. And we'll come onto it more and more throughout the book, but I keep iterating data, data, data everything we're doing with digital with tools with software is all about the data so even we talked about uber uber is about the data from a person saying i am here at this place and i want to go here who can take me there that data goes through the uber app goes to a number of drivers who would like this job the driver can ping to say yes i'll take it that data goes back to the person saying here's your driver this is where he is this is how long it will be, and this is how much the fare will be. So Uber's just become that platform that transfers data back and forth. Your sat-nav, or even if you use a proper sat-nav or on your phone, is a, again, similar thing. It's a piece of equipment that shows you data. I'm here. I want to get to here. It will take me this long. This is what the traffic looks like. And if you can get your head again around data and everything else to do with digital and understand that pretty much everything within it, even things you've probably not come across yet, the Internet of Things and artificial intelligence, is all just about a transfer of data and kind of what the information that data then gives you that is useful. And if we start with that approach to it, we can see that when we look at software, when we look at building stuff, when we look at new websites, when we look at portals, it's not how flashy they are and what tools they've got and what colours and all of that, it's about the data you're collecting, the information it's giving you, what it's telling you that will actually improve your business. And as much as probably none of us really want to be data analysts or get too heavy into data, you have to understand the importance of it because it really is gonna drive your business forwards. And we'll come on to some examples later in the book about how data is used. And think about now, even within the COVID pandemic, how that data was used, and we probably all saw Boris Johnson on TV, next slide please, next slide please, showing data in graphs, showing why they're making the decisions they're making. Whether we agree with them or not, you can see the graph, you could see the progress, you could see the change, and you could kind of make sense of why they were making the decision they were. And again, being able to not just use the data, but interpret it and understand it, takes you a long way forwards. But moving forwards, we'll go on to part two, Part two is the be the five method that takes you through the five steps of discuss, discover, decide, design and deliver. And really, we're looking at five key elements within this. So we'll start with a lack of clarity, which is the discuss phase. We'll go through what you need to talk about, what questions you need to ask. Uh, Lack of knowledge takes us into the discover phase. What's out there? What solutions can help us? We then go into the lack of the strategy which is around decide what are we going to do and why we then go into what is another problem is a lack of plan or lack of a plan that brings us into the design phase and then really the final deliver section is all about a lack of success particularly from previous projects that you've tried to deliver and failed at and why that now kind of holds you back from delivering and again throughout the methodology we'll take you step by step through How you can actually use each of those steps multiple ways, and actually not just for digital projects, for any projects or any real decision making that you need to be making. And as we get right to the end of the book, we even talk about how kind of the Be the Five methodology can help you to quit smoking or to get fitter. I can apply the model to how Formula One teams run their weekends and various other bits. So once you understand it from what you want to achieve from an IT perspective or a digital perspective, using the model over and over again, hopefully just becomes something you build into your lifestyle. And in a lot of ways, you're probably already using it. One that I've come across multiple times where I've spoken to people and said, how have you come to that decision? And they've actually almost explained the steps to me without really knowing that's what they were doing. And it's how I work with all of my customers. We go through it. We don't necessarily name them all as this, but they go through the five steps on everything we do with them. So I'm looking forward to taking you into part two on the next session. We'll start with chapter five, which is discuss. And we will go through from there and see where we get to. So thank you very much for listening.